what accentuates and keeps the, the the theme going around like racism, white supremacy is like how as black people we conformed our identity to what white America determined was professional. Okay. Which at one point was short hair and a mustache, which is like all of our, or like a little mini fro and a mustache. Lots yeah. of our parents had that for yeah. a while. <laughs> yeah. Then it became like short hair, clean face, and then it became high and tight. And then, so as I was in this position of, I own my practice, I have like, my clients know I'm black, but at the end of the day, I remember getting conversations when I had the office space around like, hey, you're, you're growing your hair out a little bit, your beard's getting a little long, et cetera, that I'm just from, like... From your, from your counterparts? Counterparts. As well as, so, so people on the same level as you, as well as people above you uh, coming at you with that? I don't think people on the same level had the gall to say it. People above me did, though. Really? Because um, you, you were disrupting their image of what they wanted. It's what they felt would be successful, which for me at the time was... If I, going into financial services at, at 21, 22 years old, mm-hmm. a, I look older with a goatee than I do with a clean face. I look older with True. a beard than I do with a clean face. Yeah. So at the end of the day, if they're going to judge the appearance, I need the age that they'll give me on it. And then as I, Black, COVID, Black Lives Matter, all that happened, it was just like, I'm going to grow it out and see what happens. And if you got a problem with it, at this point... I have my the highest credential I can earn in my field. Yeah. I have this the years of, of experience. So at this point, it's more you problem than a me problem. And if you don't want to work with me for it, you don't want to work with me. A lot and, of times it is more of a you problem than me problem. Because you know who you are and you know what God's put in you. And you know the gifting that you have and you know you know your calling. And you're the part mm-hmm. of your calling, so to speak. Like when people don't like it, take it up with God. Exactly. You know? And what are you going to do about your hair? Like that's that's what it is. It's how it grows, right? Yeah, it's what I like. So, so it was this thing of um, as I would continue to just move through. I was just thinking about it. And I just kept growing it, and then one we hadn't seen anybody for a while. But then I just yeah grew it, had it out, and then actually right before the pandemic happened, I had my hair grown out. I saw a black friend of mine who works for K, who worked for KPMG at the time, mm-hmm. and he was like, um, yeah, like no way people would take you seriously with your hair like that. And I like took it to heart. I cut all my hair off, and then COVID really? happened. And COVID happened. Black Lives Matter happened, and that's when I looked in the mirror and grew it all back out, and like let it rock since. And then that's it. So I've had clients will like if anything, it's more especially my black clients like um, they'll like laugh at how different my appearance has been since they've known me because a lot of them met me thin goatee, high and tight. It's like all I had every time. Well, same thing. I mean, I've seen you in pictures, but like, you know what I mean? Like, and then I've seen you face to face. It's like, oh, you really bought it. Yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> but, hold, but hold on one second. Mm-hmm. What up, everybody? Welcome back to Coach's Corner. You know who it is. You know what it is. Marcus Fields leading you to victory. Um, I'm here with my friend, my brother, uh, Adrian Vaughn, Alexander Financial Planning. I'm going to let him tell you more about who he is and what he's doing and how he can help bless your life, change your life. Um, but it's good to see you, man. Um, good, good to, to see you, man. Reconnect. Thank you for having me. Um, but keep going with what you were saying. Keep going with what you were saying about uh, uh, just moving forward. Um, so just um, moving forward in the sense of appearance or more like work? or just everything. Just like, so just pick, pick back up on what you were saying before I, before I jumped in. Gotcha. Um, so part of that was just under, I, I 
in, in being able to officially, I guess, front face, front facing brand my practice and what I do mm-hmm. is a lot of my practice. We did a, I used to do, I did branding exercises with a friend of mine. Um, he has a uh, consulting firm where he was helping me really identify what's my brand, who do I want to work with, why do I want to work with them. And my practice has been unique in that pretty much after the first two years, I was ref- pretty much referral only for mm-hmm. all of my growth from there. And realized that rather than trying to, you know, continue to seek out new clients, it was important to me to replicate the ones I already had. Um, and I saw a presentation from a woman in New York who talked, who had a financial planning practice, and she grew it from her 30s to her like early 40s. She woke up one day, realized that she was really unhappy, mm-hmm. um, and then she sold her practice, went into another industry ended up finding her way back to financial services, now built up a practice larger than the one she initially had. And she said that she left because she realized that her phone would ring and she wouldn't want to answer it or she'd be afraid to answer it because she knows the personality on the other side of the line. Wow. So when she started her practice over, she was like, what if I was excited to talk to every person I worked with, what would it be like? And that was the second practice she built. So I kind of took that to heart, realizing that I was referrals and really kind of honed in on who are the people that I have the best relationship with yeah. and then replicate from there. Um, and that's a, that's a hard thing to do to, 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 to think. So, so you're in business for yourself, uh-huh. you know, um, and when you're in business for yourself, like you only in our world, we talk about we only eat what we kill, basically. Right. So you're commission based only. And to in your your mindset says oh like when my phone rings i need to answer it because it could be a business opportunity or when my emails come through i need to respond within x amount of time because it could be a business opportunity right but then when you switch and you say i need to be selective about who i am working with um and push aside, not say i'm not gonna say push aside but like again just be selective of over who i want to work with and you establish like these are the clients, right? And I can serve these folks the best mm-hmm. and give them all of me instead of diluting who I am amongst the masses. It's a, it's a special it's a special thing to do because quite honestly, most people don't do it. I, I personally have a hard time doing that because I have a heart for all. I was like maybe I can help, but over my last five years, no, that should be more than that, but. Um, I've been more and more selective as to who I work with, and um, you know, I, I I I would try to chase any type of business, but like you said, it's referral only, and you only have so much of you. Right. And you need to you need to spend it, and you're in the business. We'll talk about it. You need to invest yourself in the right, right places so that the proper return can come. You know, um, that's so dope, man. Um, and you said you went to a marketing, um, uh, a branding specialist? Yeah, so uh, Rhino Marketing Group, it was a very close friend of mine, Britt Wright, um, runs runs that at that company. Are they local? And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he was in Richmond, now he's in Laurel. So yeah, for, local to the DMV. Okay. Um, the idea is, as I was transitioning, so kind of a, a little bit of background, the firm that I started with, um, they were... 
essentially a financial advisory uh, company that was set up where all of the um, individuals are essentially contractors, 1099s, using their name, their their marketing services, etc. So while you have ownership of your practice, you're attaching yourself to a larger name with a larger budget to then market yourself. Yeah. Um, and then after you know a certain number of years where you start out with having someone else that kind of helps you with meetings, teach you how to run meetings, et cetera, a mentor of sorts, you start to go off on your own. And then for me, my identity and my clients and you know how my practice started to look started to deviate so much from where that firm was or where their push was or where they wanted to market to that it made sense to essentially rebrand it as my practice because it always was my practice. It always was my iteration of how I felt it would how I felt it would work or how it would fit. Um, and then from there, as I wanted to kind of create the brand, name the brand, um, Britt was a good friend of mine who just kind of talked about, you know, if you're going to do this, you've been in business six years at that point, you know, why not do it right and spend the money for the experts, for the professionals to kind of yeah. go through all of these things. So I went with him. We did a brand strategy meeting. We built out the branding house, really talked about, you know, who I was, but more importantly, who is Alexander Financial Planning that Adrian isn't. I love that because it, you jump in sometimes and you don't know who you are. And then the pool that you jump into can shape and mold you into what they want you to be. And then you still have this thing in your heart like, that's not really what I, that, that really doesn't move the needle for me, right? right. Like you, you get into that thing like the, like the lady, like, I don't want to answer these phones anymore. Exactly. You know? And then you dread going to work. You know, and then you're like, man, maybe I need to get out of this business. And when you get to that, just like, you know, from an athlete perspective, when they can't get up, it's not about the games on Sunday, but when they can't do the off-season work, when right. they can't, when they don't feel like eating right and whatever, okay, it's time to retire. You know, it's time to do something different. Um, what? So the name Alexander Financial Planning, at its core, um, what, do you, what services are you providing to the general public? So I'm providing financial planning and financial advisory services. So now those terms are often used interchangeably in the yeah. retail space, um, but they actually mean something very different within the financial services industry. Okay. So for me, it's important that we start out with a plan, which really identifies what's most important to you, what do you want to accomplish. So I've had some folks who have a conversation with me as they may call me or get referred to me and they say, hey, I have this much money and I want to invest it. To me, that's the cart before the horse. Okay. It's really what do you want to accomplish your finances, your job, your benefits at work, those are just tools to help you accomplish those yeah. things. Yeah. So for me, we start with really the why or the what you want to accomplish with the funds. Then we figure out exactly how to make recommendations on how those funds are used. Okay. So the planning conversations first, really goals-based, figuring out what's important to you, but then also recognizing some goals may tug on each other. A lot of folks who have kids know that when kids are going to college, that might be really close to retirement and they're trying to figure out how to fund one or not overfund one and then lose the other. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really identifying the goals, what does a success look like for each goal, and then the advisory hat is where we kind of transition to, which is, hey, if we want to experience, you know, save some money and experience growth, probably gotta have a conversation about the market. If you wanna protect yourself, your family, or your loved ones from an unforeseen event, we probably gotta talk about insurance. Yeah. And that's where the advisory part hat comes on is as we know the plan, the direction that we're traveling, now it's what car do we need, what should the tires look like, and then you know what are the, the different pieces that we'll need to make the journey more smooth, and how we prepare for the unexpected that will, that will inevitably occur. Man, that's great. Um, 
the way that you're explaining it is is so critical because you've got to explain it in a in a way and that we share this in our business your practices explain it in a way that the person who knows nothing walks away feeling a sense of accomplishment and understanding and mastery over oh okay I think I can get it or they get you've given them a visual checklist a folder you gave me a folder of, of things that you need to collect or you know whatever make it achievable yeah. you know what, what's a goal if you can never you never set achievable check marks you know because you'll never hit it and then you get discouraged and then you'll never do goal setting again but in that same vein what like being able to provide this to people that are referral only you're a black man in this world this financial world where you're even more of a minority right and i share i share that with you right so um but god's grace has been that we've been able to sit in these rooms being be behind closed doors in meetings with people that we that you don't even almost know how you ended up here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. where they have they have a ton of zeros behind their net worth, you know. And then now you're taking this information and your heart's desire is to pour it into a community that honestly this is a conversation that like we're afraid of the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, we're afraid of the conversation, but I think even more so we're afraid of the disciplines that it requires to even put your loved ones in a better position or put yourself in a better position. Um, and did you have that background growing up? Like, is it something that your parents taught you? Because um, I know my, my, my parents were in financial services, so I always remember, you know, hear my parents talk about, you know, um, buy a term and save the difference. You know, mm. we're talking about insurance. That was a concept back then. Um, my dad talked about having life insurance and, you know, have a certain policy that, that a Take care of all of your expenses so that if something happens, you can pay off the house, pay off your debt, and then you can move forward. Maybe you have something left over, but at least you don't go forward in the hole. Right. Um, did you have that background growing up with your parents? I think I had less of the background of, you know, here how finances work and, you know, how to function in, in the world with that. Yeah. It was more that I understood or I spent a lot of time in athletics and my brother played basketball at a very high level. So for us, it was more about watching his friends or the folks that came before him ultimately move on to, you know, that that upper echelon of making the NBA or playing overseas, et cetera. But at the same time, you have the flip side of that coin of how many of those people actually come out of that experience financially well well off enough to then pivot to something else. Mm. So I think I got I had a unique perspective to be close to uh Wealth creation is the word, but I can't call it wealth. It's, yeah. it's more riches or, or, or uh, something else. But to see people come into financial resources and then to also see them go away. So, so that is that what we call, in a sense, it's called you get hood rich. So it's it's seeing seeing that and being close enough to it is what kind of first geared me into okay. financial services in that because I also just felt like. There is a lot of it just comes down to a lack of education. Um, There is a, and it's also that people don't have context for good decision making very often. You know, 
the, the number of times I've had a conversation with clients when we're trying to go through a budget or outline how much spending they want to do. And let's say that they have a goal where they want to retire by a particular age. And, you know, that's just the age they pick because everyone says, oh, let's full retirement age or 65 because everyone says that. Um, but then if we start to look at it and we say, okay, if you could retire three years sooner, but here's what you had to sacrifice to do so, would you do it? Some families were willing to say, oh, I'll vacation one less time a year if I'm not working three, if I work three less years in the end. But it's the context to understand. Now you know why you're not going on that vacation. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like I tell people about taxes. When you look at some tax saving strategies, some of them require you to pay more taxes today to, to create a circumstance in the future where you have less taxes. It's not that you owe the IRS that bothers people, that people don't have a good understanding of why they owe the IRS mm. or why the return got smaller year to year. They just look at the numbers and then that generates a reaction one way or the other. So the understanding is like the biggest thing that once conveyed, people have a completely different emotional posture to their finances, to the conversation, um, which is why when I had seen that presentation and like that woman had talked about seeing the phone ring, seeing the name and being excited or like being smiling to answer it is that that emotional connection, one for me, but also the other way from them to me mm -hmm. is what helps the relationship work. Because if we're talking about planning for someone's finances, even if I meet you at 60, we could still be talking 30 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so then at that point, it's that kind of having to recognize that so many of the conversations about let's plan for when it's clear skies and it's sunny the rest of my life inevitably it's going to rain and be windy and in that season we're usually dealing a lot less with the financial trauma of the circumstance because there's also a ton of emotional trauma that's in there mm -hmm. so then without the relationship the emotional part doesn't get communicated or doesn't get recognized so that's where I'm, I start to notice you know in circumstances where I've had clients go through a situation, they feel a completely different way about something or they want to make an adjustment. And I've kind of pulled them back. We met four years ago. I pull out my notes from our very first meeting and I'm like, here's what you told me, why it was important the goal was this way. If it's changed, that's okay. But we have to recognize what it was and why it was before we want to make that change. And more often than not, people will look at it, they'll reflect and they're like, this doesn't change that I still want that. Yeah. Do you find that that business practice that you have, um, which is phenomenal, um, that that rubbed up against the overall um, desire or core values of the companies that you had worked that you worked with or for before? Um, I think that there's something about financial services that has this like prestige to it or this corporate nature to mm -hmm. it. I think where I see it now or one thing that I think protects me in the sense of job security is if you are, you know, um, tight suit, tight shirt, this is how it works and your relationship yeah. is very transactional. Mm -hmm. I mean, these tech people are, are, are brilliant. AI is going to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But if we're talking about a conversation where people are like, no one's ever asked me this question before. I never thought about it that way before. I think AI is a little further behind that. Yeah. Or in the sense of, do I value having a financial advisor or do I value having Adrian? Do I value the way Alexander Financial Planning talks to me? Or yeah. thinks about my goals with me? Yeah. Um, so, you know, other things people just 
so many different things I've been exposed to in the industry from studies and how often people may change advisors. But, you know, things that stick with me is the number, they always rank the reasons why people change advisors. And I think number one is never been performance, but it's more often than not always been relationship, but I didn't hear from them. And that, and, and that is so critical. I mean, that stay at top of mind, having some sort of constant contact. Um, it is a life comes. I mean, you're a husband, you'll be a dad. Like there's all these things that, that come as some sort of priority, but then you're also running a business and we'll talk about the competitive side of you, you know, um, then that competitive thing, like you're running a business and you want it to be great. Right. So when you look at it and you say, well, I've got all these things that are priority. Yes, I'm running a business, but then how do I, how am I most effective in my business? And one of the most effective things that you can you can do is stay top of mind, stay present, continue to be relational, because what we do know is money is not a relational thing. Right. It is it is a transact. It's all transactional. There's no feelings behind it. We hear all the time. This is business. It's not personal. Okay. Well, we're going to make this personal because the the way like I'm looking at it, and I think you do as well. I do my business from a multi-generational platform. Mm. I'm trying to not only impact you, but I want to make sure that this decision that you make impacts your children right. and your children's children, but also that when you interact, when we interact with our clients, they can take this information and also let it bleed out a little bit and give the next person a sense of confidence that, oh, it's not, it's not what I hear on the radio or internet or see on TV. It's not exactly that way. Like, there's a man that told me and showed me that there is, there is a better way of doing things. Right. Um, and if there's a, if you can say one key thing, like, where is it, what's the easiest place to start with being a responsible manager of your finances from a, from a financial planning standpoint, like like your, I'll give you a, I'll give you a scenario. Okay. Uh, college graduate, you have a job. You've got a four hundred one k. You've been in your job for let's say two years, so you're vested. Uh, you got a four hundred one k. Got some additional assets. Um, you save up twenty thousand dollars, and you know that the four hundred one k is going to continue to run. But then you got twenty, you know, got twenty grand sitting, in, 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 you know, in your account. And you're like, okay, like, how can I start to make some money, diversify my portfolio? Is the first conversation from that twenty-five year old person is that first conversation with you to say, hey, like, can I, if I can give you a hundred bucks or give you five hundred dollars, you know, a month, like, can you work with that? Like, what's what's the first stop? I would say. I would say the first stop, whether you're 25 or you're 55, is setting up financial foundations. Okay. So easy one, first one on on my list is always going to be cash reserve emergency fund. Okay. Got to be prepared for the unexpected. I think COVID showed a lot of people um, who felt they had, you know, the most secure, the most job security of any position mm. wasn't that secure. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of recognizing that 
you know, this setting aside a certain amount of money for specifically that in emergency. Is that like six months or a year? Uh, easy rule of thumb. I'm always going to say it depends. And, and with each family, I have a different, you know, not say a different criteria, but a different conversation that leads us to the answer. But a, a very simple rule of thumb is just, you know, the number of sources of income in the household. Got it. There's one source of income, six months. There's two or more then three months might work. Okay. Um, is usually the easy rule of thumb to think about. People who are going into retirement, though, I do recommend closer to 12 to 15 months for them. Good. Um, especially, uh, especially if the bulk of, if not all of their assets that are for their retirement are market-driven. Got it. So Got it. my feds who are retiring with pensions, maybe former military, they have so much guaranteed income that comes in every month. Maybe I'm not having 12 to 15 months for them. But people who have a million dollar, two million dollar 401k and you're drawing off that every month. Yeah, I want to have 12 to 15 months because if the market dips, I don't want to sell and be forced to sell into a loss. Gotcha. want to have another position to give us time to recover from. And see, I know that when somebody asks me as a mortgage lender, Oh, what's your interest rate? Well, there's a ton of things that go into that. So I, I'm not going to try. I, I, I respect, you know, uh, you know, not giving you a scenario that like, uh, Marcus, you know, because um, just like with me, when somebody says, oh, I want to buy a house. OK, I, they don't know the first thing about it. Well, what's the first? Some people say, well, find a real estate agent. No, what's the what's the use in having a real estate agent to find you a house and you don't know how much money you have to spend? Mm. So that's where you talk to the lender who's that's going fair. to give you the money, give you the money. Um, so in this, uh, and and I'm not going to ask you too much more about like where to start, but I, I think the people that can hear like make sure that you've got your emergency fund set up, right. you know, six months, twelve months, three months, whatever. Um, but if you don't have a way of being able to um, of getting direct answers, right? You got a man, Adrian Vaughn, that can give you some direct answers. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll move on. If I may the, add one more thing to yeah, that, shoot. you talk about things that I think about first or articulate first, especially for um, when I do have conversations with younger folks that I don't necessarily always engage with on a planning relationship, but I do like to start with, you know, helping them get set up. Is one thing I talk about is. Something that can be difficult for some, uh, easy for others, but it's very important to become self-aware. You have to understand yourself and how you uh, feel about money. Because there's an entire mm -hmm. psychology to how you think about savings and your own money that may be different for one person and completely opposite for their partner mm -hmm. they're trying to do life with. So kind of spending a little bit of time to understand, hey, am I akin, do I suffer to retail therapy? I have a bad day at work. I need to spend a certain amount of money on this dress or this shoe or this opera thing or this concert. Um, and then kind of understanding where or why or how you spend money. Mm -hmm. um, and I have other clients that have, I mean, I have clients that have met me and had less than $1,000 to their name in a savings account, made great money, great income, had a really large 401k. That's in a thousand dollars to their name in case something happens, and they said, you know, talking to them about that, learn that they're out of sight, out of mind, folks. Yeah. So for them, open up an account. They have access to it, but because it's separate from what they've always used, money just went there, and then over time, they're looking at a five-figure emergency fund that then became, you know, money that helped them acquire a home at a later date. But for them, it's more we got to figure out that trigger. If you can't see it, it's easy for you to say that's great. We know how to do that. Some of the retail therapy folks is it's just hey, before you check out in that cart, take that money or take half of that money and set it aside in a savings account. There's been studies done 
on the chemicals the brain releases when people are charged with retail therapy and that same chemicals released when you save that money people just don't know that man that's so good that's so good man like i mean listen y'all talking to a pro uh, listening to a pro because like what you're saying you know some of the counseling that you know meetings that i've been in you know talking about the different like how the brain works and the emotional peace and the connectivity it, it, it to, to external things yeah. it's just it's wild that it that it applies in so many different areas that you just don't think of but if you don't but if you never taught the disciplines or it, you've never been exposed to or life's never been shined on these different areas you just live life the way that you live life and you just do what you do and um but i am encouraged because i think you told me a long time ago like it's never too late to start like there's you got to have achievable goals and be realistic about what the 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 um, what the current pace would look like, right? And what your expected end could look like. You got to be realistic about it all, but it's never too late to start. So, people, if you hear me, you hear an agent, it's never too late to start. Start, start somewhere. Just start. You know. Um, speaking of starting, um, you're a track guy. <laughs> what what else? What else? Uh, what other sports were you, and you talk about basketball, what other sports uh, were you involved in? Because we talk about food, we talk about sports, we talk about finances, we talk about culture. Mm-hmm. Um, what other sports were you into? So post-pandemic, I found uh, volleyball. Really? Uh, men's, adult men's indoor volleyball is a sport <laughs> that I found. Never had played before. I think it might have been a unit in PE in high school, like for one, one time uh, that I might have played. And, you know, a friend of mine who was also on the track team at Mason, we decided to, you know, we wanted to play volleyball. Um, we had watched a uh, anime called IQ. And from seeing, I think something that's unique about that show or what I love about sometimes like the animation industry is when they will set up the movement of the characters, sometimes they're mapping that over real people. Okay. So in, in this case, yeah, it's a show about volleyball. They're going through, you know, the story that they want to tell, but they're also telling it from the perspective of the main character who's new or to volleyball. So they're teaching him, hey, this is how a play would work, or this is how you want to put your body, etc. Us, you know, both having high credentials in track and field in college have pretty good body awareness. <laughs> so we kind of see it on the show, figure we can move our bodies that way. So we just went out for volleyball and uh, started to play. And it's been just, it's so much fun. I love the sport. It um, is its is fun. It's frustrating, too. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating. I think there was a perspective where I felt like I might be able to out-athlete people yeah. uh, in, in the early stages, which only gets you but so far um, until, you know, the other <laughs> side has a little more technique and experience. But I think in that, I found a volleyball club, joined up with them, joined a team, and then really? started. Been traveling for tournaments here, so it's been it's been a really That's good, dope. really good run. And what was a hobby now it like takes a good amount of my time, but it keeps me active. Yeah, uh, you shape because you got to be able to. Yeah, yeah. So it's been good. It's been a really good experience. Now you put, you you uh, the, do you move around in in volleyball like we did? You know, like in school, like you got to move from you know one position to the mm-hmm. next mm-hmm. so you still do that in your league yep you'll still rotate between positions um and then you know you may end up having a particular position that you play so every rotation you still may end up in a similar section of the court okay. because as soon as the play starts you kind of swap with other players to get to where you're best at 
Um, but I think that what's nice about volleyball, especially coming from track, is track, the only way to really train and get better at running is to just go run some more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where volleyball is nice, there's a bunch of things to work on, but then also where track is you expend energy for a set amount of time, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, a minute, you know, three minutes, etc. Volleyball is like quick bursts of a yeah. lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, more transitions. Unless, you know, if the volley is really long, maybe we're talking two, three minutes, maybe. But it's pretty much, you know, quick burst, you get to rest. Quick burst, you get to rest. So it felt nice to have the opposite of I don't need to go run for an hour without stopping or mm. 30 minutes without stopping to be able to train myself. Got you. You still run? Not at all. No. Don't do any running. Mm -mm. And so you're a Patriot. Mm -hmm. Class of what? 2014. And, but you're in high school, you... South Lakes Seahawks, 2010. Okay. Okay. I hear you repping Reston. Um, <laughs> and you, did you run with Rashad or did you... Yep, I did run with Rashad oh. Mason, yep. Okay. I think there's a, there's a, there's a little... Uh, what's, what's Rashad's last name? Oh, Rashad. Uh, uh, Gatson? I can't remember. Yeah, that. Okay, he, uh, we go to go to church with us and whatnot. Oh, he ran at Marshall, I believe. And, and then, there's this and little little thing like there's this little beef, like not beef, <laughs> but let's like you know. Okay, so the the thing about track is like if you're running sprints or whatever, mm -hmm. like in like growing up before you get on the track team, there's this thing about little boys like you want to be the fastest. Yeah. Yeah. So you always have this competition thing no matter what. So then you see the guys, you know, even if you were a former track star and you played football, like you've got uh, Tyreek Hill and you've got Robert Griffin and you got some other guys that have been uh, – Renato Nehemiah was one of the first ones I remember of a track star, um, but then played, played in the NFL. But that's a kind of a straight-ahead thing. Mm -hmm. But now you're in the volleyball – and that's another competitive thing that you've got going on. Right. You and your in your career, that there's a competitive you know drive there. But you've always been competitive. Mm -hmm. um, will you? Do you think that you'll ever like mellow out and not be super competitive? Because you got brothers, right. you just always been in a competitive environment. Would you? Do you think you'll ever like never be competitive? I think that I'm competitive to a point. Okay. I think that I'm not someone who I don't have the Mamba mentality or Jordan where I got to be the best on the court and whatever I do and everything that I do. I think that there's a certain standard that I set for myself if mm -hmm. I'm gonna you know participate in an activity. It just so happens that that standard is well beyond what yeah. most people are trying to go out there That's to good. do. Good. Um, I think that kind of comes from track where. Track is one of those sports where, you know, one thing that's unique about track and, I, and swimmers I'm at is, is kind of the same is that there's really no opinion about who's better. You can't have the debate about, you know, you have the debate track. LeBron and, right, you have the LeBron and Jordan. <laughs> what would happen if they played together? What if one was in one's era versus the other? You track, you, you all conditions, they measured the distance. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it rained or was windy. But that's about the only things that are going to change up if this person's better than you or not. Yeah. So I think from that kind of understanding that one, track, you always know your place, mm -hmm. but you always know where you haven't been yet and how much further ahead everybody else is from you. Wow. So even in that sense of, you know, what's the standard that I'm setting for myself? It's like, we got to recognize that I ran track, ran under 21 seconds of the 200. And I've had someone say like, oh, you're like less than two seconds away from Bolt. That's really close. And I'm like, not in track. It's not. And that's, and that's, yeah, 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 yeah. A second is, um, 
So that's that was your that was your race. The two hundred was your race. I would say the two hundred is what I was best oh, at. Yes, okay. I also ran the four hundred, but I I would have loved to trade my four hundred meter talent for one hundred meter talent because okay. the training is brutal. Really, that race. Okay, nothing's more fulfilling than winning a four hundred though. So so you two seconds off of Usain Bolt, right? <laughs> you get that gives a perspective like of how fast you really are. Um, that's keeping up with a car in first gear probably. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's fast now there's a goat debate about in everything Tom Brady mm-hmm. Jordan versus LeBron whatever in track I know you studied the game who would you say let's say in the 200 or 100 or overall cause you can go Jesse Owens you can go Carl Carl Lewis you can go Bolt you can go um, uh, what's the, any, almost anybody from Jamaica um, who would you say would be the uh, Maurice Green um mm-hmm. Who would you say if you, of all time, if you could just say this guy is the, just the greatest of all time? It's Bolt. It's not even close. Really? Not even close. Why? Well, one kind He's of big too, isn't he? Doubling He's like six five. Double. Yeah, yeah. Doubling down on my thought that like track, you don't really have opinions. Yeah. There are enough hundred meter dashes, two hundred meter dashes between all the names that you use to say you line up any of the videos together. Who's going to win? Ninety yeah. percent of the time. I think that there's also something about Bolt that is it's not just winning. It's on what stage and by what margin. Yeah, he's I mean, blowing you out on the top stage. Something that was fantastic about Bolt was is the there is no sense from the audience looking at him that he ever felt any of the pressure he was. <laughs> Though yeah. he must have felt it, but even run, even competing while he was doing that, I mean, I'm watching it and I'm just like, how is this man laughing, joking with the camera, like just for the stress that I feel trying to compete at Division One nationals, let alone. Being out in the Olympic Village, being in some other country, yeah. you know, put up in a bed that probably doesn't fit the man, if we're going to be honest, because um, of his height. But then at the end of the day, mm-hmm. going through rounds and consistently performing. Consistently. I mean, it's, it's, it, he was phenomenal. And there, I mean, it, it was, and it was a, it felt like such a natural progression mm-hmm. as you watch how his form evolved over time, his technique got better, and it just, his career made sense. He was just better. And can I say this? Like, I'm not a track, I, matter of fact, I hated track. <laughs> like, I was like, man, I'm gonna run to get up and down the basketball court, I'll run to a <laughs> touchdown or whatever. But like, just running, I was more into like just being known as one of the fastest in the neighborhood and if I wasn't the fastest okay cool I can still play basketball play soccer whatever but just watching it you're watching it from yes this is what you do so you know exactly what's going on you understand the pressure all of that and I'm watching it like the excitement of like oh yeah like both's gonna blow these dudes out but maybe there's somebody else that can come and get close to him and um, it never it never happened but the one thing that I can say is that I was like, man, this dude is like super, like super fast. I mean, he got a name. You saying I don't know if that's his real name or not, but mm-hmm. but he got a lightning bolt, right? You know, I'm like, okay. But then when I watch it, just from my no experience, I don't even. It doesn't even look like he was running at his like his hardest. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you know what it looks like when somebody's like really trying to, he, like he had a sense of like I'm getting it, but at the same time it's like. I mean, dudes are six, seven feet behind him or more. Right. And then it's like he's smiling. Yeah. He's not putting forward. The, and I think I, there was one one race that I knew that I can't remember which one it was, but it was like he had blown him out. But you could tell that like, 
what, 20 meters or something like he like he had already let off the gas right like dude how are you that fast and i love the fact that after all this time we we are in the always in a doping world you know with baseball right. football whatever and uh, i can't remember the guys ben johnson was his name mm-hmm. in canada okay. like um you can you can test this dude as many times as you want he just like god gave him like gave him that gift to be the fastest to ever do it yeah. and I think it's so special just to watch that and then, and then you know know that um, I'm so inadequate as a man you know <laughs> <laughs> that I, I can't I can drive a car as fast as you can run you know yeah. like he runs the speed of like a horse you know in, in, in some regards I think I saw something like if he if he, if you put a a 25 mile an hour marker and you had a track laid down like he could speed in the school zone if you wanted to that's nuts like that's crazy speed <laughs> and it's like and he was like he he was he is he's a he's a freak of nature athlete yeah like, and, and i think that with like the doping and there are people who wanted him to get cut up caught up they wanted yeah. it oh to yeah that sure. story but i think what i loved about it was because he had been so fast for so long, you have so much footage of him younger to watch him improve his yeah. technique to then justify what's happening. I think that another thing people think about with Bolt is like, yes, he didn't run all out every time. Right. Yes, there's a certain degree of relaxation that he's applying. But at the same time, a loose muscle is a fast muscle. If you wanted to flip your wrist back and forth as much as you could, you would have relaxed it to do so versus if you strain to do it you can only go but so fast almost doing the motion like dribbling a basketball if you relax your wrist and fly it's going to move faster than keeping it tight he just understood internalized how to relax and do it another way that you'll see it <laughs> that blows if, my mind you just it, said that <laughs> if, you, if you've ever seen like track athletes compete and maybe one is leading the race and there's someone else who's coming up behind them the person in front who recognizes they're getting caught, if they panic, they start to tighten up, yeah. which actually slows them down faster. Um, versus the one that's coming back is more mentally in control. They know they're coming back. They yeah. feel good. They're usually running more relaxed to do so. Wow. So it's, and it also, I think, has something to do with like how much like lactic acid you're generating by how much you're stressing your muscles out to do it. So I had a coach who used to, he used to always yell at me and another teammate of mine for like, we'd show teeth in our race and he'd be like why are you showing teeth why are you straining that much to run you don't need to strain mm. that's going to slow you down um, so it, it's it, and it just kind of further underlines like how special Bolt was mm. in the sense that I mean he's the first athlete that I like really internalized his pre-race routine of just how different he would look. I mean, you'll watch the camera pan to every single person and you see Bull, he might be pacing side to side in the lane. He might be smiling. He might rub his eyebrows out and you go to the next person and they're staring down the camera like like there's like like they're in a daze. They're like so focused. And it's just he just was he just was able to perform doing that. And there's a sense of them feeling that way because they want to stop Bolt. They want to make him lose and they want to outfocus Bolt. But it's like he turns it on for that focus and he can turn it right back off. He's trying to visualize yourself beating him and then you get blown away. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it was tough because it's like track is a fact based sport, there's nothing you can do. Wow. He's just faster than you. Man. I l- listen, you're you're educating me in a way that I, because that's not a sport I ever really paid attention to. And um, what's the 
what's the uh, like diet like, you know? And 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 I and I know it's probably super strict, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I'm asking you this is because now that you're no longer running, um, you and your wife, and she's Jamaican, mm-hmm. right? So like you're not running, and you but you look like you're in shape still. <laughs> so you know. What's the diet like then? And then, like, what is it that you had to refrain from? And now, like, what is it that you and your wife love love to do as a couple? So, from food perspective. for me personally, she's an athlete too, right? Yeah, she ran at Mason also, okay. Division One All American, all yeah. of that. Um, so, I think that as a runner, there absolutely is like dietary restrictions you should follow. Yeah. For me personally, while I was training, is my diet more surrounded what time was practiced that day? I was the type of athlete where. I would lose my lunch if I at practice because I just I gave everything to okay. track when I trained okay. for it. So I would time when my last meal was, how heavy my last meal was before I had practice. Okay. Um, other folks stronger had stronger constitutions don't have to worry about that as much. Um, depending on what they ate or how they ate, but like I remember us having group chats and there'd be someone who practiced in the morning. And we all watch the workout and then based on that answer everyone would choose when the last time they're going <laughs> to eat is because they would know that I don't want to see this later. Yeah. Um, but it, another thing about track is like tons and tons and tons and tons of water because yeah. you burn, you sweat so much when you're training and when you're running. And then also with track is you're dehydrated, your muscles are tight, you get a headache and like the, the, it is brutal to your body after mm-hmm. if you are taking care of it. So you feel everything that you're doing. It's one of the, the most difficult sport ever. Done. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of now, I mean, I think I, there was definitely a hiatus once track was over. Of like, I think all of us had it for my team. It was just like, a, I'm gonna eat what I want, I'm gonna do what I want, and like feel that. Um, now, I mean, it's good Jamaican, Trinidadian cooking. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm loving it. Um, <laughs> I think volleyball is the only thing that's keeping me well. But at the same time, you know, if I gotta be honest, it's because I'm wearing clothes that you can see. I look a certain way, yeah. but. Um, I think that it it I appreciate volleyball in the sense that so much of it feels like the opposite of track. That's good. Um, good. Where I think track kind of had me fall out of love with being athletic because if I wanted to get in shape or do something, everyone's like, "Yeah, you just go for a run. Just go and get on treadmill." And I'm like, "I've been doing that for 14 years. Like, I can't do that anymore." So I jump rope for a little while. I did a couple other things. But I wanted to be active, but then everyone wants to play, you know, pick up football or flag football or something. But um, from track, because when you compete, it's zero to 100. There is nothing in between outside of what you're doing in practice where, like, I would play flag football and I'm very good at managing how much energy I'm giving, what I'm exerting. As soon as I catch the ball, it's track again. And I try to run at 100, but... I don't have the body I had back then. But you're still fast, though, now. I'm fast, but I'll (laughs) pop a hamstring in a heartbeat uh, from that. Because it's more my brain, you remember the technique. My body can't handle the technique anymore. Got you. Got you. Um, So that's the other thing I I appreciate about volleyball. It's a sport that I can continue to play because almost all of the conventions about moving my body and track don't apply. Got it. The most, all, but it's because it's a lateral sport. I did have to do a lot of things training laterally yeah. because I'm just used to up and back. Yeah, that competitive nature, and, and I'm and I'm I'm going to make a big circle as we uh, continue to talk about like the business and, and things. Like that competitive nature with the disciplines um, 
and then also being coachable, teachable, because there's people that have been doing this a lot longer than you, you know. So you go hard at it, you know, to be consistent and, be, and stay true to who you are, but be coachable, allow yourself to be influenced, uh, yourself to be influenced by um, your coaches and people that have more knowledge. I mean, there's a, there's a saying that if you're the smartest one in the room, you mm-hmm. better change, get out of that room, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it? Oh, if we're the smartest one in this room, then we're all doomed, or something, something like that, right? <laughs> um, the reflection of everybody in your circle, all these types of things. But if you're not coachable, like you almost really can go nowhere, right? Um, so in this, in this, uh, I guess if we if we try to downshift and, and land a plane, financial services um, is something that you saw yourself getting into. Uh, financial planning. Um, that's not what you went to school for, was it? I did actually. Well, I went to school for finance, so yeah, it's okay. in the lane of what okay. I went to school for. And this, the market that we see ourselves in, um, you still you still focus on the finish line for yourself as well as everybody else, but understanding the steps that you have to take to get to to that. Um, the market that we're in is topsy turvy. Um, it is so many people are are, are afraid, you mm-hmm. know, not really sure what to do. Um, you spoke about some of the introductory things that you can do and just trying to, you know, to have your, your, your safety net, if you will. Um, is there any sense of, of confidence that you can you can help let's like give to the people and just say, look, like, because for me, I always say, you know, there's nothing more valuable than buying real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, a, there's a concept. Um, now, you can, you can get, do well in the stock markets and things like that. But there's a concept in a statement that says you buy real estate and then wait. Right. It's always certain to be worth more at the end than at the you know than the beginning. Um, you don't wait and wait for the market and try to time it and jump in. Buy it and then wait. Um, and I just give you know do what you can. Stay stay ready so you don't have to worry about getting ready. You know mm-hmm. these type of things that I just kind of keep it basic for my clients. Can you give any sort of statement that would say okay? to the people that are listening about this current market mm-hmm. and even something for the foreseeable future, just just give them a vote, just a little bit of hope. So I think with the market and in thinking as an investor, um, I think Warren Buffett said it well, be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. Um, I think that your emotions work against you as an investor because you don't, you think counter to how you should think. In the sense of when you think of you know 2008 or you think of shoot March of 2020, market mm-hmm. fell 30 points in 30 days, lost 30 percent in the S&P in like 31 days or something like that. Yeah, um, but at the same time, everything that you wanted to own in the market is now 30 percent off, but you don't want to own it anymore. That's a, that's it, a perspective. It's, it's just it's, it's it's a lot of it is your emotion. So a lot of time when people think about the market or they look at the market. It's like, I had someone who told me this recently. It's like, whenever I get concerned about the market, I just zoom out on the timeline. Because <laughs> then all you see is the trend line of from the bottom left of the screen to the bottom right of the screen. Whether it's real estate or anything mm-hmm. else, is if you zoom out, it kind of gives you perspectives to some of these little shocks that happen from time to time. And absolutely, in the moment, it is real. Absolutely, those emotions are real. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that those emotions need to dictate your behavior. Because as an investor, you have to be able to weather that storm. However... Sometimes part of the emotion or the inability to weather the storm is you have no safety net. 
Wow. So some people who play with no safety net got a safety net in mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandparents who have resources. If you're in a position where you don't have that, myself included, didn't have that, right. there's a certain amount of my war chest that I'm going to set up first before I start risking that money because you're investing. You're risking the money, yeah. whether it's real estate or anything. Um so, you know, in that regard, it's just understanding what risk is, what your appetite is, but inevitably there is always something going on in the market. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in a lot of times, the way that you feel or consumer sentiment on the market doesn't necessarily mean how it's going to perform. I mean, I can go back to an administration ago. And we would see tweets about Rocket Man. We'd see tweets of the American flag and like Korea's at it or something. Like some craziness would be up there. And people like, oh, we're about to go into war, we're about to do this, this, and this. And it's like, look at the market the six months following that feeling or that moment. Or you COVID, you know, 30 to 30% in 30 days, start April 1st to now, and look what happened in the market since then. It's so not to say that the past will, you know, past performance is not indicative of future results, but it's how much of a trend have we established in the past 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of market data that you can easily look up on Google that says otherwise? Yeah. Let alone housing is an easy one to do too. Mm-hmm. We can look at 08. What were the values in 2007, 2008, 2009, and 2020? Yeah. But people who got in trouble, who had the most issues during that time, quite frankly, were overstretched. They leveraged too much equity. They purchased too much. Yeah, the guidelines were a little different. They had a little help. But at the same time, it still came down to a risk versus what their reserve or their their, uh, safety net was. Yeah. And said differently, there's people who have plenty of safety net that saw 2008 happened and they picked up four, what are those, duplexes or condos in Arlington for like $60,000, $80,000 in 08, 09, and 08. And now they're sitting on what four or five hundred thousand dollar properties from that, so it's kind of understanding that not only the safety net there meant to protect you, it also gives you an opportunity to take advantage of yeah. the circumstance. Because at the end of the day, it's capitalism. Somebody wins and somebody loses, and that's just a little bit about how it works. But at the end of the day, you position yourself more often to be the loser if there is nothing meant to cover or protect you. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that consistent message of. of Protect yourself, have some cushion, have, and then when you just say like zoom out, you say like zoom out because right now I think about the perspective. Mm-hmm. Like when you're right up on something, you can't really see it, yep. and it it, it it moves you a, <clears throat> excuse me a certain way. But if you back out, you're like okay, you think it through, right. settle. You know, sometimes you don't make any decisions, you get quiet, and you know let's look at it another another day. You right. know, um, in relationship, being married. It's like, hey, um, maybe let's table this and we'll come back at it, you know, tomorrow at whatever time. I'm still learning that. Right. You know? Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, uh, it, it's like, it sounds elementary to say it out loud, but it all becomes true mm-hmm. in the sense of, well, if you're worried because you need that money in six months, then that's where the, and then we know where the market is. And it's like, well, should you be in the market if you need it in six months? Yeah, because anyways, if it actually makes sense to take the risk if, you, if you're in that position. But if you're saying, I got a retirement in 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. volatility doesn't actually mean anything to you. Yeah. Because it really only matters what it does over that 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 Correct. year period, Correct. which again is where that zooming out tends to help. Yeah. And that's where you come in because. You know the trends. Right. You can see where it's going in a way because you've got a, 
you got a different perspective than, than anybody else has. You've gone through the training. You've got the experience and all that. So when you say, hey, baseball on such and such, what you said to me four years ago, like give the example, where you want to go, um, we got we to gotta shift. We got to right. turn. You know, like because it's, this is this is taking us opposite direction that you say you want to go. Right. Um, and I can so appreciate that because it's not a – um, it's not an easy job at all. I mean, like, there's so much responsibility that I know you feel yeah. because people are trusting you with everything in, in in some regards. And it's like they're trusting you to be on your game and consistently be on your you know, consistency, be disciplined, be coachable, uh, always be learning. Um, and I just really appreciate that. And especially now that you're saying, hey, I'm stepping out here and I'm it's me, my brand, Nobody else. It's my wife and I. We're, we're kind of like you. Kind of like you put it all the chips on the table in a sense. Mm-hmm. But it's there's no. It's almost like there's no greater thing to do. Right. Because you trust you trust God, but you also trust yourself. Like I'm. A, I'm. A, I know I'm gonna do this right. Right. And where I where I screw up, I probably will at right. some point. But I'm gonna make that screw up as uh, minimal minimal as possible. Right. Um, and- and it comes to like having strong relationships and who you choose to tie yourself with. Yeah. So even with clients, what they'll ask for, I tell them the the end of my expertise is the beginning of someone else's. Um, so you know, when it comes to wanting to acquire real estate or purchase a home, I'll tell them, I'm like, hey, there's realtors that want to sell you a house, and there's realtors who want to sell you your next three houses. Mm. And I'm like, the difference for me and why I identify relationships with you as a lender and the conversations that we had is. To your point is like you want the relationship, but the nature of the business is transactional. Absolutely. You write a loan into a bad situation, you can walk away from the transaction. I'm the advisor that carries that with them. Correct. So I tell them, I'm like, the reason I've made these relationships is I have to live with their decisions more than the people I, I more <laughs> yeah. than the people that I'm yeah. sending you to do. For sure. Um, For so sure. then in that regard though, it is very important about who I've tied to and why, but Absolutely. also the conversations that I have, because I'm like Risk is one thing, but if you understand the again, it's the taxes thing I mentioned earlier. If you know why you owe the taxes or why your taxes set up a certain way, it doesn't hurt the same. Yeah. If you understand the relevant risks before making a decision, mm-hmm. if one of those things happen, it doesn't hurt the same. As I didn't see this coming, or I wish I knew that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Imagine you've had these conversations with people who talk about waiving contingencies on a home. You waive a contingency and something's wrong with the pipes. You went into the house knowing this could happen. It doesn't hurt as much. Versus, I didn't know if I waived the appraisal, I'm be out of pocket this much after the loan. Full disclosure. It just full <laughs> disclosure, full transparency. Yep. You should know exactly what it is. Yeah. And then from there, it just always feels different. Yeah. Yeah. You've been a great value, man. Like this is this has helped me a lot. I know that you know, like I said, money can be intimidating to a lot of people and boring to to some, and and exciting to to. The dream of having it and acquiring it is exciting to probably all of us. Um, but I just appreciate you making it super simple um, for us. And um, you got social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, anything like that that we can find you on and follow you on? I'm probably the one of the least active people on social media. Like, I'm a people watcher on social media. <laughs> you know that. I'll put, like, one update every month or two. But I, I am on Instagram under TrackSense. T-R-A-C-K-C-E-N-T-S. But if you do want to get a hold of me, best way is to send me an email. Um, a Vaughn, that's V as in Victor, A-U-G-H-N, and that's at alexanderfp.com. Alexander, F as in Frank, P as in Paul. Cool. Um, 
And then there was something else that I wanted to add, but I think it might have might have escaped me now. Oh, I do remember what it was. Okay. Um, I, I mentioned this over the holidays, and I had a few uh, folks actually on um, social media that kind of got back to me and actually did the exercise or I talked about it. Uh, a friend of mine, Rashawn, actually got me this uh, notebook, and he talked about just different ways that I think, but he wanted me to just start to journal a little bit more. One thing I ended up putting in that notebook was I put together you know, my personal net worth and then what my AGI or my adjusted gross income was. And I put a year next to it. And every year, at the end of the year and after I file my taxes, I update it to then track what I now have since 2014, how my finances or my, how my financial situation has changed. Exercise that I'm already doing with clients in that way, but doing it for myself personally, where a lot of times time will go by and it can feel difficult to understand what progress is. Mm -hmm. you, maybe you got a raise at work or maybe you know your salary is changing, but is your actual financial health changing? Mm, that's good. Do you actually have a greater net worth? Net worth, for those that don't know, assets minus liabilities. Assets are going to be you know, value of your vehicle, your home, what's in your bank accounts, your savings account, investment accounts, etc. Liabilities is going to be what you owe. The total of the mortgage, auto loan, etc. The the net of those two things is your net worth. I just wrote mine down every single year, and then I would write on the margins noteworthy things that took place that year that may have impacted it. So one thing in particular, if I'm looking at adjusted gross income, 2018, it jumped up. I wrote in the margins. I got married. I got two incomes now that I'm using for the calculation. Um, but then also just kind of writing down, you know, what was crucial in that year that may have materially or dramatically impacted it one way or the other. Mm. And then something else I plan to use it for, you know, God willing, I have kids one day is I now have the opportunity to tell them my story. How did we actually get here? And it'll start from negative numbers because yeah. I have student loans. But kind of walking through to say, you know, when did it flip positive? What happened? Now I'll have a story to kind of explain to them and help with how eventually I'll have to address financial literacy because we don't do that enough. We don't talk about finances enough as we should. That's so good, man. I'm glad that you that you explained that because it, it really helped me and I know it's going to help somebody else to be able to understand the, <clears throat> the assets versus liabilities and creating that net worth and... Uh, Establishing that. So check out uh, my man Adrian Vaughn, Alexander Financial Planning, um, available on uh, Instagram under TrackSense. And um, look for him out here doing big things, rubbing elbows with Warren Buffett and the like. <laughs> at some point, at some point. So you can see great things from you, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Long time coming. That's all I got for you. God bless y'all.